I just want to affirm like what that song was saying, and I feel like the Lord's just asked me to encourage the group. I don't know if there's many of you who need this or one of you, but if someone in this room is feeling like really withered up and dry and just dead, I want you to know that the Lord hasn't given up on you and that he is going to make a way in providing new life and flourishing and fruit in your life. So if that's you and you need to receive that tonight, that the Lord is not done with you, that you are not dried up and dead, there's still life in your bones that the Lord wants to breathe into you, just pray that your soul would receive that tonight. Um, So tonight as we um, move into the end of our series of of Stranger Things, um, I just want to give a a brief overview of what this series has been about. Um, So Stranger Things was obviously inspired by, well, not the series really, just the title was inspired by the show, Stranger Things. Um, But I thought it was too uh, timely not to play off of that because Peter talks about over and over again how we're called to be strangers and aliens in this world because of our decision to follow Jesus. We're not going to fit in with the normal ways of this world. And so I hope throughout the semester you felt encouraged and challenged in different ways that you can look like a stranger because of your faith and because of the ways you've decided to look different. And so we're going to get through most of chapter four tonight. My goal was to get through all of it, but I was, as I was preparing this week, I just I felt like there was too much to cram in. And so we're going to get through most of it. But as we start with chapter four, you'll realize that Peter is kind of repeating himself in a few different ways. And I thought about, well, we could just skip over some of this because we've already talked about it. But I think if Peter thinks it's important enough to repeat in his letter that it's important enough for us to review, even if it's briefly. So we're going to read from verse 1, and we're going to review kind of some things, some themes we've talked about this semester. But hopefully it can be a good refresher for us. I feel like we always need to be told the same thing over and over again. So 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And we're going to kind of go like verse by verse, two verses at a time. So, it says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because the one who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human lust, but for the will of God. So, way back early in the semester, I think it was maybe week two, we talked about suffering and being able to find joy and suffering because our hope is not in the things of this world. Our hope is in eternal life through Jesus, right? And so Peter's reminding his readers here, he's reminding us that even when we experience suffering, we can find joy. But also the cool thing about suffering is it relates us to Jesus. It helps us experience some of the pain he went through here on earth. And Jesus suffered death, right? Like he suffered the ultimate death on the cross. And we are to suffer in the same way by putting our flesh to death and living a life in pursuit of God's will. And there's freedom in pursuing what God wants for your life, right? We think that the desires we want, we think those are the good things, but there is freedom in saying, I'm going to put aside what 
I think I want, what I think is best for me, and I'm going to pursue what God says is good and what God says is best for me. And if you remember a few Sundays ago, if you gather with us on Sunday mornings, Austin talked about God's wrath and what God's wrath looks like. And it might not look like something what we think about when we think of wrath, but wrath, God's wrath and separation from God is handing us over to the sin we desire. That's what God's wrath is, is saying, hey, this is the sin that you're wanting over and over again. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you experience that. And that is not good, right? That creates separation and um, pain and is not what God designed for us. And so being willing to suffer by putting our flesh to death, suffering because Hey, when we say we're going to eliminate sin from our lives, there might be some detox that happens, right? It's going to be hard at first, especially if it's a habitual sin that you've been doing for a long time. It's going to be hard at first to cut out of your life. But trust me, that is good suffering. And um, you might experience suffering by people not thinking it's cool, your new way of life, which we're going to talk a little bit more about. But I want to encourage you there that we should desire to put our fleshly desires on the cross with Jesus to pursue his will and find freedom in that. And being done with sin, Peter's saying, be done with sin. Be done with your old way of life. Hear me say this, this does not mean perfection because none of us can, or none of us can achieve perfection on our own. We're going to mess up. We're going to continue to make mistakes and sin, but it's wanting, it's desiring to follow God instead of following our own twisted, sinful desires. It's saying, I don't want to be a part of the selfish things. I want to be a part of what God wants. Okay, so let's keep reading. In verse three, and we're moving on a little bit. For the time already past is sufficient for you. You have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of indecent behavior, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and wanton idolatries. So what Peter's saying here is, listen, you have spent enough time in your old ways. You've spent enough time making the worldly mistakes Be free from that. Stop. Put that in your past. Don't let it waste any more of your time. And these sins that he names are all sins that are wrapped up in being reckless and selfish. I mean, most of these things he's talking about involve reckless drinking. And I don't think he's saying that drinking itself is inherently evil, He's saying that it's the reckless, excessive partying, that nothing good comes from that, right? We all know we might have been there. You might have even been a part of a party this past week with Halloween. That reckless drinking brings no fruit. So he's saying this overarching theme that we cannot be consumed by this reckless, consumptive, selfish behavior, And so if we have lived this life at one point, which we all have in some way or another of being reckless and selfish, when we stop, when we turn this corner and being done with that, people are going to notice a shift in our life. 
So let's keep reading. I know we're flying through. In all this, they are surprised. They talking about the, the Gentiles, the people that they were living life with. In all this, they were surprised that you do not run with them in the same excessive, excess, in the same excesses of debauchery, sorry, and they slander you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So debauchery here means indulgence and sensual pleasure. So that's, again, this indulgence, this overconsumption. And he's saying, look, don't be surprised when you decide to make this shift in your life. When you decide to say, I'm done with the selfish lifestyle people are going to notice. People are going to notice. And people should notice that we are different, right? And not because we're being judgmental, not because we're looking down on them, not because we're not loving them, but because we've made this shift from giving in to our fleshly desires to saying, no, I'm not going to keep giving in to that anymore. And so when they notice those things, they're probably not going to understand. A lot of the time, Our friends are not going to understand. And that is really, really hard. It's really hard when people that you were doing life with, that you were having fun with, that you were sharing experiences with, all of a sudden you don't really have much to connect on anymore. And it might even go as far as they become hurtful to you, that because they don't understand, they make mean comments and... um, they're rude, and then they start to stop inviting you to be a part of anything anymore. And that can be really hard, but Peter's encouraging us that when we choose to be sold out for Jesus, we should not be surprised when people don't understand. And that is not an excuse to then go back and waver, to go back into our old way of life. I want to encourage you guys to stay firm, because what Peter's saying here is, These friends that don't get it anymore, those aren't who you report to. You report to God. And on judgment day, they're also going to have to report to God. And so remember that God is the one we report to. And so I know it's easy. It's really easy to think and get caught up in what other people think about us here on earth. But they're not the ones that we report to. So keeping our priorities set on God. And then, keep going, in verse 6 it says, For the gospel has, for this purpose, been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as people, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. And so this text is a little bit weird, and it has a, a a few different ways to think about it. But ultimately, what Peter is trying to tell us here is God is the ultimate judge. God is the judge of the living and the dead. And if God wanted to go preach to the dead people, he can. I mean, some people believe we don't really know what happened. I think I talked about this a few weeks ago when Jesus was dead for three days. Like, some people think that he went and preached to the dead. Um, But he is the judge of all people. And so just realizing his power. And it also could mean what Peter could have been doing here is encouraging the Christians um, and saying the people who have already died, 
the people who've already suffered for their faith, um, they are experiencing eternal life. Okay, so, are y'all hanging with me? Sped through that. Hopefully some of that sounded familiar. Um, You can go back and listen to past sermons if you want to catch up on some of those things. But now we're to the focus of our text. We're to some of the new stuff. So, we're going to read, starting in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. Whoever speaks, do so as one who's speaking actual words of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter moves, this, he has this shift here. He's moving from selfishness, this is the way you used to live, to service. So if you catch this here, he's saying, this is all the ways you were selfish. This is all the ways that you're turning from. And now let's talk about service. And this is the gospel, right? Jesus came to this earth not to be served, but to serve. He came not for himself, but for you guys, for me. And Peter is calling us here. He says the end is near. He's calling us to this sense of urgency. And part of this is that Peter probably thought that Jesus was going to come back during his lifetime or shortly after. But now we're like 2,000 years later and Jesus still hasn't come back, right? And that's what we've been talking about on Sunday mornings. We just finished our series through Revelation, the revelation of John, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, that we might not know when Jesus is coming back, but we better live like he's coming back soon because that matters for our relationship to God because that's what we're called to do. We're called to live with a sense of urgency and how we love our neighbor. And that's going to matter because it's going to affect generations to come. So we're supposed to live with a sense of urgency now in, in how we respond in service, but not anxiety, okay? We're supposed to live with urgency, not anxiety, but purpose, So I think that's what Peter is calling us to is, hey, don't live this life like just casually. We've got to live with purpose. Or like UMHB likes to say these days, live on purpose, right? We love it. Um, So what that means is to live with purpose is to be in community. So to start, he says that we have to have a sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And I think this is a beautiful calling. Um, And I know many of us can probably relate when we have had that clouded vision, right? When we get so caught up in things of our flesh, like so obsessed and focused on this relationship that's not healthy or so caught up with 
social media or just trying to fit in, whatever it is for you, that your judgment starts to become clouded and your spirit is not sober because you're not connecting with the Lord. And so he's calling us, hey, be ready. Be connecting with the Lord. Be, uh, get rid of those things that are causing clouded judgment. And so we can have a, a posture ready to pray and receive what the Spirit is calling us to, okay? And then he says, love people. Love, because love is powerful. Jesus' love is so powerful, right, that it covered all our sins on the cross. So let's be people that model that type of love to our neighbors and to our community. And despite our brokenness and despite the brokenness of others, we need to give and receive love. And so that is why it's essential to be in community. God created us to be in community so we can practice giving and receiving the love that he modeled for us because his love has the power to heal and to draw people closer to Jesus. So Peter calls us to be hospitable to one another, welcoming them in and doing life with them, serving them and making them feel at home. Right, so when you're being a host instead of a guest, you're looking for ways to serve people. You're looking for ways to make them feel comfortable in your home, right? And wanting to bless them with good food or just a good place to come and sit on a comfy couch. And so we want to be people who are looking for ways to serve, not to be served, like Jesus modeled for us. And so the best way that we can do that is by using the gifts that God has given us. We each have a gift, or maybe a few gifts, that the Spirit has given us. Um, God has made each one of us unique. And yeah, so I have, I have this picture because I, has, first of all, has anyone started listening to Christmas music yet since it's November? few of you, okay. See, I, I like to wait till after Thanksgiving, but no judgment to y'all that you got, you got to go all out November 1st. What about before November? Is, is, is it acceptable? No? Yeah? Yeah? So I guess I'm getting a little bit in the Christmas spirit, and I just, I had this vision of like a Christmas tree, and if it just had one lonely present in it, that would be pretty sad, right? But a Christmas tree that has all sorts of different shapes and sizes of presents. Like, that's what we think of when we think of this picture of a Christmas tree. And that's what community should look like, where we're coming together and we have different gifts that we get to bring around the table and be flourishing together and practice unity. Because, we, I mean, there's things that I am not gifted in at all that I need grace. Like, I cannot sing. You do not want to hear me sing. So I need Gracie's gift to help lead worship. Um, Kaylin has done an incredible job with administrative stuff that and keeps me on task a lot of the times. So we get to come together and use our gifts to honor the kingdom. But if we try and do it on our own, we're going to be missing out. And so we need to realize that we need each one of us in this room to bring what we've got. And where that starts with is we have to realize what are the gifts that God has given me? And you might be using some of those gifts right now, but you might not be using them for the kingdom. Um, I don't think any of y'all were at the table because we had one last week, but Jonah kind of talked about this, and if you want to go listen to his whole message, this idea that um, 
we, we use our gifts so much for our work, for working in the secular world and having a job as a good thing. Like, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a job, but we have these gifts that we should be blessing the church with and, and not just like Vista, but the capital C church, um, our community, uh, these bodies of believers. So if we're gonna be a unified people that are encouraging each other and gonna be able to... Um, live a flourishing life here on this earth that is throwing so many things our way, if we're going to be an example, if we're going to create revival in this town, we have to come together and realize our gifts and figure out how we can use them to serve each other and the church. And so that's what we're going to spend the rest of the time doing. I know I talked a little bit more than normal here, and I'm not going to talk really much anymore at all, and we're going to spend the rest of the time discussing um, what are, what is your giftings? What are your giftings? Um, so I'm going to go through a list of spiritual gifts, and there's like 20 of them. So there's a, like, 1 Corinthians 12 has a list of spiritual gifts. Um, but this is a list that Nick Followell, our community, or old community pastor, put together. And these are different gifts that I'll show you a QR code at the end that you'll have access to this. Um, and it, each gift has scripture that goes along and shows where he pulled that out. But all these things that are found in scripture that can edify the church and community. So we'll start here. Don't feel like you have to write all this down because you'll have a, a doc at the end that you can see it all on. So the gift of administration it's accomplishing goals by planning, organizing, and supervising others. So just start thinking about these things, hear them, and then we're going to have time to, to talk about it and think about it. The gift of creativity, being able to easily create, build, maintain, or repair things. The gift of discernment, being able to distinguish truth from error, good and evil, right and wrong, truth and deception. The gift of encouragement, offering comfort, encouragement, hope, reassurance to those who are discouraged or weak. The gift of evangelism, sharing the gospel of Christ with others in an inspiring and easy to understand way. The gift of faith, having the ability to act on the promise of God with the unwavering belief and confidence in who God is and his ability to fulfill his purpose. The gift of giving, being generous with your resources, giving sacrificially and cheerfully, giving of your time, talents, and money without thought of being repaid. The gift of healing and compassion, being drawn to those who are sick or suffering and helping to pray and care for them. But a lot of the nurses in the room have that gift. The gift of hospitality, making others feel like they're at home, the gift of knowledge and learning, being drawn to the process of learning, analyzing, and uncovering insights from the Bible or faith resources that are pertinent to the growth and well-being of the church. The gift of leadership, setting and communicating goals to others and helping them accomplish God's purpose for their lives. The gift of praying for others intently, 
praying for extended periods on a regular basis and seeing frequent answers to prayer. The gift of prophecy, the ability to reveal God's truth and proclaim it in a relevant and timely manner for the understanding, correction, repentance, or the building up of the church. The gift of music, inspiring others through instrumental music, singing, dancing, and other types of performing arts. The gift of providing relief, supporting people who are in crisis and cannot provide for themselves. The gift of serving, helping to accomplish practical and necessary behind-the-scenes tasks which frees up, supports, and meets the needs of others. The gift of shepherding, the ability to assume long-term personal responsibility for the spiritual welfare of an individual or small group of Christ followers by nurturing and guiding them towards ongoing spiritual maturity and helping others reach their full potential by coaching, challenging, and guiding them. The gift of speaking in tongues. We're almost done. The ability for your spirit to commune with the spirit through private prayer or the supernatural speaking to others in a language the speaker does not know. This should be done in private most often or publicly if there is someone to interpret for the building up of others. The gift of teaching, explaining truth and applying it effectively so others can understand and learn. The gift of wisdom, sorting through opinions, facts, and thoughts in order to determine what solution would be best for themselves and others. All right, so hopefully something may have stirred your attention, but then we also have this little worksheet for you to work through. And yeah, that QR code will take you to an even more detailed description of all the gifts that we went over. And it has scripture And so maybe later, when you identify what your gifts are, you can go back and read what it says about them in Scripture. But on this list, you guys can read, um, so I don't need to read all the questions for you. But I want you to go ahead and start with the first three and just spend some time. We'll put on some music, and y'all can, I mean, you can talk if you want to, but just start by answering those first three questions on your own right now. And then, um, actually the first four, sorry. And then you can kind of discuss it in your group and save question five for in a little bit. We're going to do that one um, after you discuss a little bit. So let me know if you have any questions about any of them. I'm happy to come around. So once you kind of start filling that out or you're done filling that out, feel free to start talking about it. Like, what do you think your spiritual gifts are and, and why? And then we'll get to question five. All right, now, so if you haven't done this already, let's move on to question five. And um, I realize I have a typo on most of these, but it's supposed to say, how can I tangibly, not tangible, how can I tangibly use this gift to serve others and my community? So hopefully with you've been able to discern one of your gifts or multiple gifts that you have, it's okay to have a few and... Maybe you needed some help from other people, or maybe you still are not quite sure and you need to go home to some of your friends and be like, hey, tell me what I'm good at. I need help discerning my gifts. But now I want you all to think of, okay, what are some practical ways, like really practical ways that you can use this gifting that you've identified to serve the church and your community? So that might look like specifically doing something here at Vista. That might look like 
stepping up and doing something on your campus or um, something a community need. But I want you to think about, in light of your gifting, how can I tangibly use this? And kind of like make an action plan. If you're not using it already, because Peter says, do whatever, whatever you say, do it with the power of the Lord. Do whatever you, wherever, whenever you serve, like do it with the power of the Spirit. And so thinking, hey, how can I use my gifts in, in honor to glorify God? Um, so kind of think about an action plan and what you want to do with your gifts. And y'all can talk about it get ideas from each other. All right, if y'all are still, some of y'all are still talking, you can keep talking, but I just wanted to close for the people that are done, and then y'all can keep talking if you want to. Um, But I just want to encourage you guys to, one, maybe read, read through this first part of the chapter again and think about, are there any ways that I need to be, or anything in my life that I need to be done with and be done being selfish about? And then move into, okay, how can I take home this list and think about it some more? How can I really use my gifts to serve others and to serve the kingdom? Um, and if you need help thinking about a practical way that you can get involved, please come talk to me. I would love to help you. And yeah, that's all I have. So I'm going to pray for us, and then you can be dismissed. God, thank you so much for tonight and for wings and good conversations and great worship and just time to rest in the midst of a stressful, exhausting season. Lord, I'm thankful that you are moving in each of our lives, whether we see it or not. God, I'm thankful that you've gifted us all in different ways, and I just pray that we would all embrace those gifts and use them to honor you and realize that each one of those gifts matters so much in the way that we get to serve and love each other. God, I'm thankful for who you are, for your sacrifice for us, and for your never-failing love. Um, We love you so much, and it's in your name. Amen.